Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, meatheads. Are you ready for this week in Partyville? Oh. I need to think of a new start for this episode, but listen up, folks. It's going to be great. Uh, It's going to be a really short episode. Daddy's going out of town. Daddy's going to be gone. There probably won't even be a podcast for next week. Start that thing up and get it on. Guess what? Lots of big stuff happened this weekend. And first and foremost, did you watch the GNC uh, AMA Pro Flat Track GNC 1 and 2 races? Oh, my God. I've been talking about it all year. uh, And just leading up to the penultimate moment, I was so sad that it wasn't, you know, last year uh, was... Vegas was enough of a drive for me, and I'm so mad that they don't have it here in Pomona anymore, but uh, all the way up in Santa Rosa, baby, you know, it's California, it's only a few hour drive, some of the people from down here did it, I think Brian Bell from the Ivy League Flat Track, the uh, the face of that organization and the promoter, he rode up, uh, you know, a group of people on bikes rode up there and and uh, experienced that firsthand, and so that would have been pretty cool to do, but, you know, not me, not for me. So, uh, yeah, I just had to sit here and watch it on fanschoice.tv. That's where you can find all the AMA Pro Flat Track racing. Uh, a lot of triumph this year, and a little bit of tragedy. There's been, there's been, this year has been insane for crashes, and, you know, Flat Track is, if you ever watched On Any Sunday, they're crashing left and right. They're racing with bandages on their face and all that stuff. And uh, it really shows you what the sport uh, can potentially be. So there's a couple tragedies this weekend I think we need to address. Uh, one is Kyle McGarren. He, number 99A, uh, and um, what's her number? Shoot, it's Charlotte Kynes. And I forget her number, but yeah, tragically, both passed away. She was 20. He was 17. So there was a little bit of tragedy this weekend amongst all the triumph. And I have to say that the track was just like a crazy dust bowl. And I'm not sure if that contributed to some of the factors leading up to the incidents, but... You know, it it was amazing to watch these guys. It was like racing through a smoke screen. They were, uh, you know, if you listened to it and and you saw it, then you know that the announcers were talking about, uh, especially Chris Carr. You know, he's raced multiple times there, and uh, that the sun coming in from behind the dust was just like insanely obscuring. And uh, if you toward the end of the GNC uh, one race, Brian Smith, I don't even think he knew who was behind him. So it's been a it's been a couple days. I know it's not up there on Fans Choice yet, but I'm going to tell you the deets. I'm going to give you the deets on who won. So if it's a spoiler for you, close your ears now. So to preface this all, uh, first off, let's say that uh, back at the New York Mile, uh, Brian Smith was penalized. He got all of his points and his purse revoked because of an infraction for weight, for being out of spec. What it was is the AMA's got a rule that all the weight has to be 
loaded onto the the bike. It can't be out in like an unsprung, like a rotating mass, like the wheel. And that's exactly what happened. Brian Smith was using a wheel that was slightly out of spec. And uh, the scrut- asked the scrutineers, is this okay? Asked the, you know, the tech guys, is this okay? Everybody just kept saying, yeah, it was in the AMA's hands to say, no, you need to do this. So he appealed it. J- uh, Jared Meese's team, I believe, are the ones that uh, basically put in the, uh, what's it called? They put in the dispute and... Brian Smith's team came back and said, listen, we did everything the AMA told us. You know, we feel like this is being unfair. It was turned over by Independent Appeals Board, which reinstated his points. I don't know about the the money, but um, yeah, the points were reinstated. And that is what made this weekend so exciting because he went from being, I, I forget where he was due to the penalty, but he went from being wherever that was to being two points ahead of Meese, who was in the lead because of that uh, infraction. And so when when the Independent Appeals Board, you know, reinstated his points and you you realize he's back in the race, you knew that Santa Rosa was going to be a barn burner. Brian Smith has been really good all year at the miles. Jared Meese is really good also at, you know, almost every type of uh, track he's at. But being being able to dominate some of the short tracks and, and of course Brad Baker is just like the short track master right uh i don't know it really played into anybody's hands and that's what's that's what made the race so exciting so to break, break it down i'm going to spoil it here if you haven't seen it the outcome was uh well the race started off with joe cop who was a gnc champ from gosh i forget what year i don't i don't know if he's raced since like 2010 uh but he's you know he's a former gnc one champ and you know just a fast all-out fun guy racer still uh teacher my friend learned how to flat track from taking one of his schools up in idaho and yeah, just all sorts of cool on that guy. He comes out on the new Indian FTR 750, gets the whole shot, leads the first couple few laps. Uh, it was pretty amazing to watch and pretty amazing just to see this guy flying around and probably exciting for Indian and uh, any any fans of Indian. So that was really, really cool. And then, you know, eventually he, he got passed a little bit. He actually came in seventh, I believe. So that's not too bad, you know, for a first showing on that bike. Uh, I'm not even sure how much uh, training he got to do on it. So that says a lot right there. So he, they're flying through this dust cloud. And like I said, the visibility was terrible. And it came down literally to Jared Meese hunting Brian Smith down for the last few laps of the race. And he he was cutting like tenths off. At one point, he was cutting half seconds off of his time and just reeling Brian in and reeling him in. And eventually he uh, he caught him and he passed him. And Brian Smith, you know, once he saw the wheel, he was like, oh, boy. And like I said, he was trying to look back to verify who was behind him at one point. And the dust was so bad that he just he couldn't see, he couldn't tell. So it was it was a pretty amazing race. So Jared Meese, you know, took the uh, first spot away. And uh, I was kind of bummed because I was been rooting for Brian all season. You know, Jared Meese was trying to make it three in a row. Uh, for the Harley Davidson team. And so just to see Brian take it for a Kawasaki, I was pretty, pretty happy with that. Uh, pretty stoked for that. So it was a bummer to see Jared get out front, but then on the last lap, 
Brian comes back and puts his wheel in front of Jared. And on, on those fast tracks where everything, you know, it comes down basically to your exit speed and your setup all the way through the turn, you're not going to be able to like back it in and get somebody taken out of a corner. You know, you got to keep your momentum up. That's basically what it came down to. So Brian gets in front of Jared right there on the very last turn, turn four, takes it home, holds him off to the checkers. And the big story here is that Brad Baker, I don't know where the hell he came from or what he'd been eating that week, but he was, he was long gone. He, he, uh, took first place over from Joe Cop early on and was just checked out. So congratulations to Brad the Bullet Baker for winning the Santa Rosa Mile, but the overall points for the year goes to Brian Smith. And that's kind of sucky, you know, when the championship's coming down and you don't, you know you don't have, you know, a dog in the fight, so to speak, but you still win it and it kind of overshadows your win. I mean, not taking anything away from Brad Baker. He's a kick-ass racer and he has been all year and he's proven that, you know, I think he won... Uh, three years ago, him and Jared Meese were going back and forth. So that was, you know, he's, he's such a good racer and, uh, it was cool to see him up at the top, but all eyes were on Brian Smith and Jared Meese after the controversy that kind of brings into play, uh, something else too, which is, you, you know, going back to marketing and everything I said about, you know, on last episode, and keeping a bike alive, it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't come down to the name of the bike or the look of the bike. It comes down to the drama afterwards, and or the drama surrounding you know the team, the company, the bike, whatever, whatever it should should be. And that's exactly what it kind of came down to. It was it was Harley versus Kawasaki, and it was Brian versus Jared, and you know everybody else that took W's this year kind of was eclipsed. It was a little bit like Danny Pedrosa winning <laughs> MotoGP. Um, I forget if what, what race he won this year, but I think he won like at, at, uh, you know, one of the first rounds and it's like, everybody was looking at Marquez, Lorenzo and Rossi, you know what I mean? So just sort of that, that type of thing where not to overshadow Brad Baker whatsoever, getting that big W, but it was a pretty fantastic end to the crazy season. So yeah, that's if you uh, if you when that comes on Fans Choice, you definitely got to check it out. And the GNC2 racing was also just as exciting. I think Ryan Wells had already had the points wrapped up on that, so it was kind of uh, you know that race was already in the bag. And but the racing, like everything else, that's uh, you know junior class stepping up to you know everybody's got their eyes on the next class up. That stuff is just heartfelt. And usually like 120%. If you think about the pros doing 110, those guys are going like 120. So yeah, pretty fantastic. And if you get a chance, I would go back and check it out on Fans Choice. All right. Well, something else that I wanted to get into is that not a whole heck of a lot's been happening since, you know, it hasn't been very many days since the last podcast went out. I was listening to some new ones this weekend. And uh, if you listen to the Stock is for Squares podcast, you'll know that uh, they, well, Stretch took that trip to Cots uh, last week or the week before. And it was pretty funny hearing his account of uh, <laughs> of his his stay and everything. It was really cool. One of the things they brought up was uh, the suspension on the bike, and I forget. It was just like a side comment they made, but about damping versus dampening. 
and uh, getting some better shocks on the beta, I think. Now, one thing I know for sure is uh, the company that I work for, my job is to write uh, technical literature for motorcycles. And that's one of the things that we discuss is terminology and stuff like that and common common terms and translating terms from possibly uh, Japanese and Italian and stuff into English and, and the meanings of stuff and how to phrase stuff. And we actually do that stuff at work all the time. And I can tell you that damping is the correct word, even though a lot of people use dampening. And uh, damping is you know, when you're referring to like a damping force, which is like, you know, the, not the rebound, but the damping. (laughs) When you run, run over a bump or hit a bump, how much the actual pressure inside the shock damps the impact. Dampening would be uh, how wet you're getting something. Um, If you were to dampen a cloth, you would get it damp. Uh, So you could see where there's a little bit of confusion to damp something and to get something damp is where like the semantics lie. So yeah, when you're talking about your shocks, Slade, you're talking about uh, damping, not dampening, but uh, that was just another thing. And then also my wife used to have a Nissan Rogue. It's like a a mini SUV sort of thing. Actually, they weren't that many. It was her. They're kind of bigger for some of the SUVs out there, but it's definitely like a crossover, you know, and they were talking about the CVT in that thing. And I have to say that uh, CVTs suck and Nissan did everything wrong with their CVT. And I know this is a motorcycle podcast and I rarely like to talk about stuff that isn't somehow related to motorcycling, but I have to say that Nissan Rogue and the CVT just a bad, bad combo. And I don't know how many times we got stranded because of that damn CVT overheating and, uh, failing. And it wasn't necessarily, we didn't have a drivetrain wear, but there was a tranny cooler on it. And whenever you would, uh, overheat the tranny, it would put you into fail safe mode and it would only let you do 40 miles an hour. Now that's one thing halfway between San Diego and Los Angeles out on the 15 in the stretch, but you know, where there's like not much out there and you're trying to go up the grades. There's a few mountains that you had to go over. Um, like the, uh, not the home pass, but, um, like right between like Fallbrook and all that stuff. You have to go up this pretty steep hill and go over it. I, I don't know what it is, but by the border patrol checkpoint and all that great stuff. And, Yeah, when you're going up there and it's like the middle of summer and you got the AC on and two little kids, two little babies in the back and your car all of a sudden cuts down from like 80 miles an hour to 30 on the freeway and there's people doing 100 coming up behind you, it's kind of freaky. And it turns out that that CVT has just been a problem in people's, in a lot of manufacturer sides, but specifically Nissan and the Rogue had so many problems with it. And our problem specifically was the tranny cooler. And there was a a TSB that went out to Nissan that the tranny cooler was made with X amount of um, fluid in there. And when you... And when you would drive it and the fluid would get hot, it would start to froth. And at that point, the transmission is no longer running on like the viscosity of the fluid, pumping it through, turning. If you've ever seen a 
automatic transmission taken apart. It's crazy. There's channels and all sorts of little fins and all sorts of little crazy stuff everywhere. And it basically uses the hydraulic power to turn, you know, to like turn and shift and stuff. And when that stuff is a frothy foam, it no longer has the power. Imagine trying to turn a pinwheel with a garden hose and you're squirting it and the pinwheel is turning or a windmill or like a little water paddle, anything. But now imagine trying to shoot foam like from the end of a soap dispenser or like foam dancing or anything at that, like it's not going to turn anymore. Right. So that's basically what was happening inside the CVTs of these stupid things. And the TSB was to fill it up with like four units instead of six units of, um, tranny fluid. And these, and they're sealed and everything. Like you couldn't mess with them. You know what I mean? So, uh, I told her I would check it and then I looked in there and I was like, Oh dude, you can't, they're sealed. Um, you can't check the levels or anything like that. Like they're literally, uh, supposed to be maintenance free. And so when we took it into, you could pop the end off the cap. Cause I was looking and I was like, well, this is where a normal dick dick would go, but it's like locked on there. And I got some tools and popped it off and looked. And I mean, it had fluid, so I knew that wasn't it. But I didn't know about this TSB until we took it to a uh, Nissan for like the eighth time. It took about four or five times taking it to the Nissan up here by us before nothing happened. You know, nothing ever got resolved. They drove it around. Nothing happened. You had to wait for it to boil over. So we finally were down in San Diego and they took a look at it. And the guy there, one of the service techs was like, you know what? I know about this from, uh, I remember reading this bulletin and, uh, a TSB is a technical service bulletin and it should be this. Plus there's also an oil cooler or, uh, you know, a tranny cooler that, um, they recommend putting in now and we'll put that on your car for free. It'll cool it. Cause you know, stock, they don't come with a tranny cooler and, uh, or that trim package didn't. So he's like, you know, the TSB says to install the tranny cooler and fill it up with X amount of fluid. We'll go ahead and do it for you. And I was thinking about it and we had taken it in for a service and it was fine. And then we took it to Jiffy Lube or some shit like that to do the oil. And, uh, they top off all your fluids there. And it even says right on the, uh, invoice topped off tranny fluid. So they must, you know, even though it's not a serviceable thing, you can, like I said, you can still pop the cap off. And so they must've just popped the cap off the end of that tube and topped it off back up to whatever six or you know, you weren't supposed to have six. You're only supposed to have four units. So I don't know if that was liters or X amount of milliliters or what, but that's when it started to happen. Cause for a while it didn't happen and then it happened again. And so we figured out that that's what had happened. It got, we, we, uh, took it in for like an oil f- or a flush and a change and all that stuff. And they filled it up right after it happened a few times, you know, they, they did fill it up right. And then when we went back to Jiffy Lube, they didn't know any better cause they don't read the TSBs from the factory. So they filled it up again and it started happening again. And the people at Nissan really just were like totally clueless. So we took it to some place that knew what they were talking about. And that's our experience with the rogue. And, uh, is it motorcycle related? No, sue me. Hey, 
getting back to flat track and something that came out just yesterday, I believe, is the fact that, you know, post season, this this season has just been so insane as far as uh, GNC uh, is going on. Well, the Indian, of course, you know, has been making headlines. Harley Davidson's been make, making headlines too with the XG 750 that came out. And there's been lots of cool uh, press photos about that bike and the development of that bike and looking at the four valve, water cooled, you know what I mean? Everything that Harley guys, traditional Harley guys, hate about Harleys and motorcycles. But I got to say, that bike is pretty damn bitchin'. And if anything, the Indian FTR uh, 750 is also a pretty bitchin' ride. And Jared Meese helped develop that thing. And something new that came out this week, or actually just yesterday after the uh, racing, is that it was all uh, always speculated that Jared Meese was going to ride since he was the, uh, you know, the development rider. Um, and it came out earlier that he would be riding the Indian a couple days ago, but just, uh, right after the race, Indian announced that, uh, the 2017 grand national championship on the brand new FTR 750 is going to be, uh, the, get this team. It's going to be Brad Baker who we all know dominates, you know, he, I think he won the super prestigio the first time it was over in Spain. Uh, he dominates flat track. He did pretty dang good at the TT, uh, checked out at this last race at Santa Rosa, you know, took the win by, he was long guy. I don't remember the final time, but it was like 10 seconds, 14 seconds, something like that. It was like Henry Wiles at the TT. That's Brad Baker, which is gone. And so it's going to be Brad Baker, Jared Meese, who's been the GNC champ for the last two years in a row, and he's always, you know, he's always been on my radar ever since I got into flat track. They've always been talking about him, so he's always been hot shit, pretty much. And Brian Smith, who just took this year's uh, GNC title, so and he's been pretty on fire too. You know, Brian Smith has always been somebody to keep an eye on. I forget if he, you know, Jared Meese won at X Games, but I think Brian Smith won uh, the flat track race there. I'm not 100% sure. I just, I remember that uh, one time when Meese lost his chain, Brian came around for the second, uh, you know, from second place to win. And, and, and he's always been right there on Meese's tail. You know, this, if, if it wasn't Brad Baker there, it was Brian Smith. So it, listen to this. I mean, they're compiling a team for next year called the Wrecking Crew for Indian. Uh, the one thing I've seen on all the quotes, I, I saw this on Cycle News, and in the comments down below, everybody's saying, didn't Harley had the Wrecking Crew? Harley had the Wrecking Crew. I think any stinking, you know, motorcycle race team, somebody even said BSA had a Wrecking Crew. It doesn't matter. Indians got it now, and they are next. If, if they don't come home with a championship next year, I don't know what. Uh Kenny, I mean, Harley losing Meese is a huge deal, right? Because you got Kenny coolbeth has been with Harley forever. I, I imagine that he's going to stick with Harley. But <clears throat> losing Meese, him and, you know, he's a little bit of a superstar. Him and his wife have, you know, she raced. They got married on the track. Uh, they, you know, that's how he met her was through racing. And I, I, if I remember correctly, she raced, uh, for Harley as well. And when the, when the, uh, new seven fifties came out, the water cooled based on the street, they're the ones that premiered them at the X games, them and Brad Baker. So, I mean, Brad Baker also was a Harley rider. So you got these guys going over to Indian. Now this is really going to rekindle some of the, you know, some of the past, uh, 
feeling, the sentiment, the the um, pa- like I wouldn't say pageantry, but you know some of the the past sort of emotions that people put into flat track racing. I, I can't help think that it's been partially due to the hooligan class and partially due to Harley becoming like the latest. CB750. I mean, CB750s were so hot a few years ago, and now it's turning into Triumphs and Harleys just because the the twin sound and and uh, American Pride, you know, and choppers are getting popular again, and everything's getting kind of cool again. And I can't help believe that you know a lot of these guys that show up at the chopper shows and stuff on their flat trackers are making this. Uh, a big deal and as a result we are going to see stuff like this we're going to see flat track become big again and these big names moving over to indian is going to mean something so it's just crazy exciting to see this stuff come out and you know i'm so looking forward to the 2017 season if it's not apparent that i'm a huge fan of flat track then uh it should be and next year when i'm just like going berserk and you have to listen to me talk about it you know, the next thing I hope that comes back is Supermoto. And that had me thinking, I was looking at work the other day, you know, working on the new, some BMWs. So, you know, little G310R made me think about the BMW, uh, it was the 450X. I forget what the preface, the prefix, probably a G, probably a G because, um, it was, it was a thumper, but the G450, uh, motocross bike that they had and that made me realize that they also had a supermoto at one time they had the uh well they had an x country which was not technically a supermoto it was kind of like the predecessor to the g um the ggs the g650 gs it was the it was the g650 x country kind of like a urban urban enduro set you know i guess basically their street version of a, of a supermoto but then they actually had the supermoto which was the g650 x moto and uh, i forgot about the glory days of bmw trying to do cool stuff for fun people rather than just trying to hit the adv market and the old guy cruiser market now and then have you know they have a little bit of roadster stuff kind of catering to uh, a hipper new generation and, uh, you know, their sport bikes are pretty still kick ass, I would say. But, you know, before they revamped their whole line of stuff recently to cater to like a little bit more um, sporty or sport touring and then, you know, old cruiser guys that can afford to do road trips on their their K1600s or their GSs, uh, they did. They, they, they jumped into motocross for a little bit. They jumped into Supermoto for a little bit, and then they had like a 1200 Supermoto, which is kind of like the Ducati Hyper Motard. BMW sort of had a version of that called the Megamoto. And, you know, they weren't they weren't pretty by any means, but this is back in the mid to, um, yeah, I guess like mid to maybe late uh, 2000s, you know. So, I mean, this is like coming on 10 years ago. So they, they were styled pretty good for back then. But, yeah, I, forgot, I totally forgot that BMW had a wild side there before the uh, urban scrambler became super popular and now that's what you have to buy to to go off road they used to have that 650 x country which looked like you know put some actually decent tires on it and and it would be pretty fun to just cruise around uh, your neighborhood and then fly off the road but at any rate yeah this the point i'm trying to make is that it at one time, you know, especially like Buell having the the TT, if you remember the uh, the uh, you, the 
XB 1200 TT or whatever it was called. Uh, you know, BMW had a, a supermoto and a hypermoto or a megamoto. Uh, Ducati having a hypermotar. There's like, I hope supermoto comes back in a big way. And, you know, that could just mean the 400 to 600. It doesn't have to be these big hypermotards and, and all that stuff. But, uh, flat tracks made a really good comeback. Motocross has always been really strong in Supercross and Arena Cross and all that stuff. I'm hoping that Supermoto finally gets his foot in the door and starts making the sort of gains that it, it should have been making a while back. You know, when they used to have, I forget if it was the X Games. I don't think they called it the X Games yet, but I remember Nikki Hayden used to race Supermoto. Bunch of guys. It was so cool watching them race at the uh, the Vans Warp Tour, the X Games, or some shit like that. I forget what it was, what the series was, but it used to be a big deal, and we called it Super TT here, I believe. And um, you know, it wasn't called Supermoto yet, but yeah, that was some fun stuff watching these guys from different disciplines go around. And so I hope, for the most part that that can make a comeback now kind of to segue into last the episode last week and the week before that going on like marketing and what would you do to design a better bike how how if you were a designer like as a motorcyclist you really got to ask yourself how would you want to get other people into motorcycling that to keep it and you know not necessarily to get way more people to ride with or get more people to like something that you love because you want to keep it cool for yourself. That's one entirely separate thing. But when you're gone, who's going to fill your shoes? And I definitely don't want to see the next generation of motorcyclists not evolve and and evaporate basically because we don't show them what's cool. So I was wondering like how flat tracks made a huge comeback. It's given the the Harley Sportster a whole, you know, the Roadster basically a new lease on life where Harley was kind of going down a one way bobber road with the Sportsters. Now they're kind of coming back, you know, the XR 1200X is gone. So this XL is just as good, you know, the XL 1200 I forget what they call this one, the maybe the R, but um, I just did it too. I should know this by heart. I just uh, finished doing, doing that bike at work. But for whatever reason, yeah, they, you know, it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, it's I've seen a huge increase in, in flat track fandom, um, seen American flat tracker brand come on, which is the AMA, you know, sponsor sanctioned like line of clothing um seeing the aft which is the ama's kind of like events promoting company come out of this and uh something that liza miller talked about on the last episode of motorcycles and misfits was you know having will harley survive and i I've been talking about that for like the last five episodes on my show because I'm really, I'm seeing it and, and I, I work with Harley at work. And so if Harley goes bye-bye, I have nothing to work on at work. (laughs) Granted, they're my least favorite manufacturer to work on their stuff, but at the same time, like daddy's bread and butter, baby. And so basically I don't think they're going to go away. But what she was talking about is, will they be able to stay alive as a brand because they sell like more clothes and stuff? And yeah, you know, Deus probably sells, Deus does sell more t-shirts than motorcycles because Deus very rarely makes motorcycles. They make them, they go up on Bike XF and they use them to sell their clothes and whatever whatever else Deus 
locations sell. You know, they, they hawk magazines, they hawk clothing. They are basically a brand company. And the guy that owns them owns some other, I forget, he owns some other company as well, some other clothing company. Like, you know, it's sort of like if Calvin Klein bought up uh, uh, Fly Racing or something, and now Calvin Klein is selling you know, fly racing products, you know, it's like they're a big name in fashion actually. And, and as well as when you, when motorcycles think of them, they think of the motorcycles that they build. So I don't know. It's kind of like this evolving thing. Harley, I believe will to be able to do the same thing. They will keep selling their cup holders and, and phone cases and bandanas and leather jackets uh, and cuts and all that stuff that say Harley on them. They'll continue to sue moto vloggers and, other fashion stores that try to rip off their, uh, you know, their logo. I believe the stock is for squares guys even said that a moto vlogger was getting sued because his logo, he was making fun of Harley looked a little bit too much like Harley. So yeah, all that stuff definitely survive, you know, they'll no shortage of merchandise. And I think, you know, one of my friends, that works at Harley said that the P and you know, there's special P and a guys now, which is parts and accessories. They have their own separate department that's separate from service and separate from parts a lot of times. And they have like their own managers and everything. And, uh, the P and a guys are making like tons of money. And every time you come in for a service, the, you get sold. Would you like to buy, you know what you could use this on your bike? Oh yeah. You know, we're, we're doing the chain we're we inspect the chain for the service anyway. So let's get you a new chain inspection cover that has flames on it or that's Chrome or wrinkle black or whatever the hell they do. And, um, so yeah, I mean, they, they all the time, the service guys and the PNA guys make money off of that stuff. So it's, it's nothing new. Harley will always have, you know, a foot in the door, especially with, you know, their, their live wire coming on. Uh, one of the things that's been asked lately was the cruiser market. Will the cruiser market survive? I've heard a few different podcasts this week talk about that. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, cruisers, if there's one thing for cruisers, it's battery storage, man. Like you got this big ass bike. Uh, it's already pretty big. If you get a, a torquey ass motor in there, that's small enough. The rest of the bike could be battery storage, especially if you got a trike, you don't have to have some crazy tranny underneath there. Uh, you know, taking up a lot of space where some of them do that could all be battery storage. And so we're looking at, you know, except for the, 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 feeling that especially the ladies i think i think what the cruiser guys are worried about more is how are the ladies gonna think about uh electric bikes and stuff because the ladies like the rumble the ladies like the feel and that's who you ultimately or guys if you're a lady rider or a guy rider that's in the guys i don't know whatever rider you are whoever your passenger is that you're trying to attract i guess i should say is the one that's going to be you know, who you're worried about feeling the feel and the rumble and the passion and the freedom of the open road and anything else that 21 Days Under the Sun wants to tell you riding is all about. What's going to happen is that is going to be the main thing. Loud pipes save lives. They don't really. You should always drive like a ninja and like you're not seen by anybody because if you really aren't, loud pipes don't save lives, right? So, all that stuff has been just like force fed down your throat for so long that that's what's, what's going to matter to people is like, I don't have loud pipes anymore. Like, what am I going to do? 
Like this is going to suck. And, you know, so that's going to be the selling point is that the writers and what their images of things are. But Harley's, you know, not like they haven't tried. They've had a live wire for a long time. They started development on that thing years ago. It's already made the tour last year. Uh, and before that, they had developed it and showed it at uh, as a concept, you know, like three years before that. So and then they're going to not have it out until 2020, supposedly. So that thing, you know, there's no reason why that won't be a viable vehicle. And just like right now, a test mule for all powertrains. And I think in the in the future, especially with electric vehicles, what you're going to see is you're going to see that bikes are we've already talked about it with. BMW and the and the Scrambler, the R9T, and now the R9T Scrambler, and a lot of the other modular bikes that they have that can fit into those frames is that we're going to see like a couple base frame packages with all these motor configurations and body configurations around them. And so how much easier could it be with an electric bike? You develop a good, strong motor. You don't need to have an 883 line or a 1200 line anymore because you can either control that with a controller or you could control that with, um, you know, basically limiting the speed with not only with the computers, but, you know, you just need to have one engine now. And you don't, you, if you, if you want to control the power, you can. But if you don't want to, then, you know, just develop a strong motor and, and the body is what's going to matter. So, you know, it, it just, it's really going to be the wave of the future. And I think people that can see the writing on the wall are going to have that. And there'll always be until fossil fuel dries up. There's always going to be probably a retro bike. You already have all the tooling for it. You already have the technology. All you need to do is make it pass emissions, which is as that gets harder and harder, people are going to have to start making electric bikes. But yeah, I, you know, it's bikes aren't going to go away just because they're a cruiser, just because that market is so huge. There's, there's no way. So yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, quit blabbing about that and move on to something new, shall we? Yeah. Hey, Ride Report. What day is this? I don't even know anymore. I am so busy getting ready to go out of town that I can't even tell you who I am. Tell me who I am. I'm like a super tramp song. Um, what? I, the one thing I wanted to say about all of the electric bikes and all this and that and cruisers who do you think is going to be putting the first electric cruiser out and here i'll give you my guess and i'll tell you why Uh, well this is a tough one because as long as harley has had the live wire and now that i mention it i don't remember if they had them out for test rides in 2014 or 15 uh it's it's a tax on my brain that i just cannot recall right now but you know, Honda, Honda has also had a bike out. Uh, you know, I'm talking to major manufacturers. There's been electric bikes out for so long and I can't even tell you, you know, who would be the first major player. And I would say that Bramo was one of the first major electric bike players, but unfortunately they've gone the wayside. They got bought up by Victory, who was also, I guess you could say, owning Victory Indian and, uh, you know, they bought up Bramo, but they also own what do they own Can-Am? I forget. But at any rate, you know, we'll, we'll call them a major player as well. And they've already been racing the victory impulse. And I think that, you know, aside from Zero and Victory, uh, they've been the two major players in a, a major OEM 
electric bike development and marketing, you know, I'm bringing something to market as is what I'm going to say, because, you know, zero is still a pretty small company, uh, not in the electric bike world, but in the bike manufacturing world where victory at least has legs to stand on having, you know, the Indian and victory lines competing directly with other manufacturers in their same space. So Honda, uh, you know, it's kind of skunk worky Honda, like we've mentioned before, isn't try to be too sexy all the time and they don't really have um, a desire to be too crazy and out there. Although the NM4, the DN01, their new adventure scooter, all that stuff would tell you otherwise, they are really calculated. And when we talk about bikes like the Fury and stuff, that's what we're talking about is that Honda never, they take risks, but they're calculated risks. And that's the one reason why Honda hasn't put the Shinden out. And if you don't know what the Shinden is, it's their Mugen, which is like Honda Skunk Works. It's their electric bike and they race it at the IOM and all the TTX GP stuff that goes on. I think Honda has their dick in that butthole, and they've been playing that race for a long time. <laughs> ah, what's wrong with me? What's wrong? I went blue there. Uh, so anyway, yeah, they Honda has the Shinden, and they've been racing that thing for a while, developing that thing. And technically, I think Honda could be right there. They're right behind Harley in worldwide sales. I think Honda gapped Harley uh, in domestic sales. Of course, Harley owns Honda. P- they poon Honda pwn. At any rate, you know, Honda worldwide is bigger than Harley and, and Harley's number two. So we got number one and number two, we got Mike Tyson and George Foreman here taking swings at each other or Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, if you will. And I think that Honda has the capability to actually come to market before Harley, but having you know mentioned that Honda usually takes calculated risks, I think Honda is going to wait for Harley. So although I think Honda could do it, and I think Honda might be, you know, it's almost like drag racing heads up style and seeing who's going to hit the tree first, and then you know who's going to who's going to actually take off first and, and, uh, all that great stuff. I think that that's the same sort of thing. These, these manufacturers are doing, they're seeing who's going to succeed first. Who's going to actually go to market with what, who, you know, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. It's not really a pissing contest. It's a, it's a cautionary tale of, you can't just jump into the market anymore. As we've seen, as with all this stuff that keeps coming in and out of fashion, Going in and not selling well, being introduced too early or too late, you you got to do it at the right time if you're going to make it profitable and make it stick around. And, you know, right, I, it's the same sort of thing that we've always seen from manufacturers. So uh, just thinking about what I said in the last segment uh, kind of had me wondering in my own brain, who will be the first major OEM to go electric? And I'm guessing that Despite the fact that Honda could, Honda's got the baseball bat cocked back. They got the cricket bat behind their head and, and ready to swing. They got the uh, the rugby ball ready to punch. But I think that Harley Davidson is going to be the one that's going to do it. And uh, I think Honda's going to wait to see how they fare or at least wait until there's another competitor out on the market. It's a lot of reasons why car companies don't do that. You know, Honda Insight was the first electric uh, you know, Saturn had one. 
Honda came with one and Nissan and all those guys are kind of waiting to see before they invest a bajillion dollars into it. And now that they've seen that it's viable, at least in California and probably New York, I'm guessing that they're developing infrastructure. So, cause it takes infrastructure too. Let's not forget if you're going to ride your bike across the country, you need gas. If you're going to drive your electric car across the country, you need electricity. So infrastructure is all part of that. And you have to make deals and contracts for all that great stuff. So yeah, I think they're just kind of waiting to see before we sink all this dough into it, how are they going to be, uh, perceived in, in in the by the public at first before we even do this and then we'll decide if we're going to go ahead and, and follow through but you guys do it first okay yeah okay we'll do it but you know so that, i think that's how it's going to play out harley in five years although mugen's been racing their shinden at the isle of man for the last five years harley is going to be first to market with their e-bike i'm not even going to edit that one part out man i'm gonna leave that in everybody listening right now i want you to take your hats off take your shirts off do a naked ride for the one and only kitty cat taylor uh listening this week paying attention to the facebook's boards and seeing that uh little cat taylor had a little off and by little i mean half her head's missing uh both of her legs are taped to her hands now they're gonna have to do skin grafts of her hair all over her body she's gonna look like a red-headed chewbacca and yeah, it's not going to be pretty, but in reality, in reality, we really do wish her a quick and speedy comeback. I don't know exactly what happened except for that she crashed her bike and they were doing a squid ride with no gear. That's, that's what Liza says. I don't know if that's what they were actually saying they were doing, but you know, they knew they were just doing like a fun ride. It has been like a hundred, like 106 here the other day. And uh, I can only imagine Santa Cruz is usually way cooler, but still, you know, California has been experiencing a heat wave. You don't want to go outside and fart with too much pressure, like after too many bean burritos, because the heat from that will catch the roadside on fire. And then you'll probably be liable for like $2 billion in fire damage that you do. So yeah, definitely you got to be careful in California with this heat. And, uh, so, you know, I think that's why they were kind of riding a little bit geared down the heat. They were just taking it slow, being cool. And what happened was probably a marmot ran out in front of her and took the front tire out. You know how easy that can happen. Maybe even somebody like Donkey Kong or somebody threw a banana peel from behind him and, uh, she slipped on it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but all joking aside, all joking aside now for, for reals this time, we really do hope that, uh, you, especially with your modeling career on the line here. We hope you heal up quick and keep posting Doug, man. You got to keep posting those videos. Those are hilarious. She's going to hate you for it in the future, but (laughs) those are comic gold. All right, everybody, listen, I'm out of here. I'm packing my bags as we speak. I'm getting my dance regalia all together. I've got a shift tonight at Tito's Topless Tapas Tampanade and Taco and Titty Bar down on Turd Street, right between uh, Twerd and Tweet and T. No, anyway, I got to get out of here. I did such a good job this week. There is no sorry list. I'm not sorry to anyone I talked about. This week, the Creative Writing Show is not sorry to the Stock is for Squares podcast. We are not sorry to AMA Flat Track, Flying Brian, 
uh, Jared Meese, Jam and Jared, Brad the Bullet Baker, AFT. We are not sorry to the Santa Rosa Half Mile. We're not even sorry to Santa Rosa, California this week. We're not sorry to the heat in California. We're not sorry to everyone that farts and catches things on fire here. We are not sorry to Nissan, their crappy rogue, and their CVT transmission mishaps. We are definitely not sorry to the Stock Us for Squares podcast and for Slade and Stretch for doing such a great job over there. We are not sorry to the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. Liza, bang up job this week, lady. Not sorry to Doug and Kat and anyone else that we may have mentioned like AFT, Deus, uh, I think we mentioned Calvin Klein even on this show. We're not sorry! From everyone here at the studio, we our hearts go out and uh, prayers to the families of number 99A, Kyle McGrain, and number 35L, Charlotte Kynes, who tragically passed away in Sunday's Santa Rosa Mile. Point your bars toward the stars, everybody. Have a good one. Not a big deal, and it sh- I I hadn't didn't get uh, you know an asterisk next to his name in the record books. Thankfully, oh, because shut up. Um, well, he was disqualified. I shouldn't say there wasn't an asterisk. I mean, <laughs> God damn. Uh, Harley will survive somehow, even if they have to, uh, you know, rape other people. I think that's the ballsiest thing you said all day.
And I was kind of bummed. Santa Rosa is not, I mean, it's NorCal. It would have been a heck of a drive. A lot of the guys did it 